Welcome one and all to a very special episode of Dice Company. As you may have noticed, each of the players has been creating their own episode, looking back at the backstory of their characters. Harry, what have we got in store today? Automatons are now constructed without sentience. Their minds initially copied from a preset mental blueprint. They can walk right out of the workshop and immediately perform a subset of basic tasks. This method saves time and drastically cuts down on unfortunate accidents. It limits depth and adaptability, however. Tick raised Tok in the same way he in turn was raised, akin to an advanced biological life form such as gnomes, elves, and dwarves. When Tok was created nine years ago, he was at his full imposing six foot eight stature, but had to learn all things from scratch, even speech and motion. Tick taught him many things of growing and of caring and of craft. These are some of the childhood stories remembered by a young Tok. Even automaton memory is flawed, however, and so much remains lost to the mists of time. Ooh, intriguing. Tick's Tall Tales, Volume 1. Coax Metal. Why must things die, child? Time. That is why. Father Time is known by many names. Kronos. Saturn, Entropy, Death, The End. It is said that old Coke's metal sits upon his rusted throne, forging the weapons by which the universe will be unmade. Life is taken by death, but in that death new life grows. Flowers grown on the mud of corpses fated themselves to return to the mud. The humans see a great wheel, the great circle of life, ever turning, but they are wrong, for the wheel is broken. The great flow of life is like water running down a river course. Entropy steals drips of its energy, sapping its flow until eventually it sits, still as ice in the abyss of fate. Our sun's voyage across the sea of stars can't but drag and slip beneath the waves. All of our dreams will wash away, the inertia of our will slowly diminishing, for all things dissolve in time. How Trickster Squirrel Escaped Salazar the Rabid Fox One day, Squirrel climbed through the deepest, darkest wood. She searched for a nut, for the nut tasted good. Salazar the Fox hunted through the deepest, darkest wood. He hunted for a squirrel for the squirrel tasted good. Squirrel, come talk over dinner, for I desire company. Come talk in my burrow, for there are nuts aplenty. Squirrel climbed through the snowy branches, using all of her stealth. She knew hunger well, knew the threat to her health. Fox, your burrow is too small for me, though nuts I do crave. Bring them with you, and we could talk in yonder cave. The fox padded gently, following the squirrel's trail. The cave was dark, but deep inside he found a fuzzy tail. Tired of talking lies in his gentleman guise, the monster showed his teeth and stole a tasty, fleshy prize. The fury of the bear was a sight to behold, the flight of the fox a story to be told. Squirrel, you have tricked me, and so you have escaped for now. But I will hunt your friends, tear at them, and gnaw on their bones anyhow. 
I will steal the sun from this land, burn its forests, and crush its people beneath my boot. One day, Squirrel climbed through the deepest, darkest wood. He found a buried nut, and the nut tasted good. And that is the story of how Trickster Squirrel escaped Salazar the Rabid Fox. The Living Death The people lived in a green land of rolling hills and flowing rivers. There was much life of hand and of hoof and of leaf. The people's ways were of growing and of caring and of craft. Their bodies were strong, their minds were sharp, their will was tempered. One day, a demon named Kale visited the land, a being of malice and cunning. The trust of the people offered no defense against it. A score of its mortal progeny followed in its wake. The whispering cryptic subjects of the demon would in time spell disaster, for the people were unable to comprehend their peril. A new thing was to be made, a project like the people had never known before. The labors of their bodies were directed, their minds were focused, their will was harnessed. Once their new thing called war was finished, the followers of Kale showed the people another. Called the living death, it struck fast. The people again had no defense. Their bodies were left strong, their minds were left sharp, but their will was taken from them. In place of their feeling, their desire and their dreams, the afflicted had an empty, desolate void. They were turned from people into things, living yet also dead. During the thing called war, there had been a band of brothers who had seen the nature of the followers of Kale. Long had they resisted, Long had they tried to hold back the tide. Long had hope been lost. But the people's living death could still be avenged. Now the wrath of the band was unmatched, and though they stood alone, they made tireless war upon their enemy. Yet in its otherworldly realm, the mad demon laughed, even as its followers were returned to it. Past the pile of skulls that the band had made in their malice and in their cunning, approached an old woman. She feared the band, as well she should. Yet with creaking knees she prostrated herself before them and begged. She was one who had borne a follower of the demon Kale. She offered no excuse for her child's actions, but requested the bones be returned to her, so as to grieve and observe the rites. In many of the band, this ignited a fury, and the old mother fled with her life. But one brother was silent. That night, under the cover of darkness, the silent brother followed the tracks back to a tent. In the tent, the old mother cared for a voiceless baby named Ilium, a child innocent of the crimes of its parent, just as the people had been before the influence of Kale. Then, old mother Hecabe again begged for the bones that the silent brother carried, lamented and cried out at their hesitant return. Pity for the child was like a seed of empathy. It grew and branched out, and finally allowed the silent brother to escape the dark path of Kale. 
or that path will eventually consume all of the people who follow. Far from the dead land of barren hills and polluted rivers, the Silent Brother returned to the ways of growing, and of caring, and of craft. For it had learnt that only life can combat death, only forgiveness brings peace, and only peace brings life. The Legends of the Rojan The Rojan were true heroes, Little Tok, their power gained by the pursuit of knowledge, their will tempered by morality. Many are the stories of their exploits, especially their part in the Great War, though their origins are shrouded by long centuries. Their ending was bright as a comet. I was fortunate to learn some of their wisdom. I will teach you what they taught me. The Legend of the Dawn Rider Plans are useless and destined to fail. Yet planning is everything. Each plan is likened to a single pigment to the artist like a single ingredient to the chef, a single move to the master of defence. The tactician must not cling to a plan, but through them, dance. The Dawn Rider, first of the Council of Twelve, was both Rojan and Commander. For, though individually powerful, the Rojan were few. The Dawn Rider manipulated the great swarms of armoured humans as if they were her own limbs. The bold raid on Isenport, warning against the disastrous invasion of Alphon, striking a deal with the Kerbera fleet captains at the Pali at Port Grog, the checking of Salazar's advance at the Great Battle of Deep Mound. Her achievements forestalled the Great War's conclusion by years, yet no one can hold back the tide, no matter how brilliant. The Legend of Engram I truly hate this war. I do. It takes years to build up what can be broken in a day. The ship waste. Still, we do what we can, I suppose. Head down. Finish the work in front of you. Don't worry about the big stuff. It won't do you any good. We're all like parts in a big machine. A gear or chassis if you're lucky. Grease or fuel if you're not. No one at the controls as far as I can see, though. No one at all. Engram, second of the Council of Twelve was Rojan and Master Builder, central hub of the Council's network, spanning the many leagues with but a word. He was closest to automatons, ever our friend. Many of his lessons you already know well. I do not wish to talk of his fate. The Legend of Celestial Hammer The best wealth is health, even with all the money and power in the world. If you do not have health, you have nothing. True grace is to be found in caring for the sick, healing for the injured, and fixing what is broken. Celestial Hammer, third of the Council of Twelve, was Rojan and Healer, a light in the darkness, literally, for they glowed with a divine energy. I have observed that many humans will fight all the harder knowing that they may still be fixed, even if broken, beyond repair. The Legend of Steel Strength is power, first of virtues. Kindness, charity, mercy, all these are only possible under the protection of strength. Humanity must first be lifted from the mud and the filth before it can be clean. The state of nature 
Pah, it is just a war of all against all. Just as a tent needs a pole, a people need a leader with strong arms and the will to use them. You can harp on endlessly about what is right and what is wrong when you have power. But you must have it. Steel, fourth of the Council of Twelve, was Rojan and Warrior, a towering bear of a man, nigh unmatched in single combat, died of his wounds on the plains of Asmodeus, surrounded by scores of foes. The Legend of Sage Whisper Did I tell you the time I won a wrestling match with a frost giant? Oh, it tried to grapple me, all right. But the thing about skill and strength and subterfuge is that they're all really hard to use. When you're on fire, everyone has a plan until you set fire to their head. Sage Whisper, fifth of the Council of Twelve, was Rojan and master of destructive sorcery. A dragon born as man, with scales and breath of fire. It is said that he was found by the first Rojan, sleeping in the caldera of an active volcano. Known for fearlessness and directness of action, in battle he was always at the fore, last seen advancing alone from the shattered gates. The Legend of Nocturna In the average person, the doors of perception are rarely open. We see what we want, hear what we want, remember what we want. All it takes is a little nudge in the right direction. People pretty much fool themselves. It's kind of the others to call me a master of illusion, but really, it's not true. Half of the Tom Rider's genius is for mind games. The Shadowblade is no stranger to trick in the eye. The Lionheart is an incorrigible liar and manipulator. Even the big dumb warriors fool each other in the language of battle, feints and the such like. My first lesson, I suppose. No one suspects what should already be there. A spider in a dark corner. A clever thought in their head. Or a squirrel in a deep, dark wood. Nocturna, sixth of the Council of Twelve is Rojan and Trickster, a mercurial elf at home in the forest, a great friend of mine and of my maker, and of yours, though you do not know it yet. She has much to teach us about people's minds. Each species thinks differently, each individual unique yet similar. The Legend of the Shadow Blade. Shadowblade, seventh of the Council of Twelve, was Rojan and master of stealth. His lesson was not with words, for I rarely heard him talk. He was rarely seen, even without the use of arcane methods. I believe he gifted me the book, The Colors of Animals, their meaning and use, especially considered in the case of insects, for I found it in my pack after the last time I saw him. The Legend of the Storm Warden True wisdom has many elements. It is important to learn from different people and places. If we have but one source, we become rigid and brittle, like a tree with only one root. A change in the wind may bring you down. Understanding others, their ideas and cultures will help you become whole and give you depth and resilience. What is true for the individual is true for the group. The Storm Warden Eighth of the Council of Twelve was Rojan and Master Elementalist, bending the elements of water, earth, 
fire, and air to their will. An introspective individual in the winter, excitable in the summer, with some otherworldly aspect to them. They preferred spending time listening and in meditation rather than talking. The Legend of the Starborn May Lady Luck be with you, for as long as she can. But don't come to rely on her. There's no better way of getting rid of her than relying on her. The Starborn, ninth of the Council of Twelve, was Rojan and Master of Fate, did not escape the fate set out for them. The Legend of the Lionheart you have the opportunity here and now to choose, to become something greater and nobler and more difficult than you have been before. Few recognize the choice when it comes. Few realize that they are free to make it. Do not waste this opportunity. It will not come again. The Lionheart, tenth of the Council of Twelve, was Rojan and Paragon, a great friend of King Arkanax, and held in awe by the Grand Army of Cantioch with a single stride at the critical moment, held the line at the Battle of Deep Mound. Often said, though the heavens may fall, let justice be done. Like as a charging bull to a deliberate surgeon, he was the constant rival to the Dawn Rider. This fault line, more than any other, was the one upon which the Rojan were broken. The Legend of Florette Picture Isidore, Mother Life a mysterious woman in white with her crown of leaves, angelic wings and flaming swords. Silliness. How like the humans to so generously gift their own image to a being so great. Isidore is life and we are all children in her garden. Should be better portrayed as the teeming life in the soil, roots and bugs and fungi all melded together. She is more them than she is us, just as they are more than us. We are like the daughter of an icicle even on that small part of the iceberg that towers above the surface. Life really is all one. Florette, 11th of the Council of Twelve, was Rojan and student of nature. Half size in her natural form, but able to shift as she pleased to any of nature's children. What I have taught you of nature, I have learnt from her. Not suited to war by temperament, but good at it. The Legend of Towering Shield Steady, lads. Towering Shield, twelfth of the Council of Twelve, was Rojan and Master of Defense. A giant old orc, stoic and steadfast as a tree, the only match for his friend and sparring partner, Steel. There was none better to have at your back in a fight, the last on his feet at the Shattered Gates. The Legend of the First Tick, I am sorry. The first, secret member of the Council of Twelve, the oldest and wisest, a power long before the formation of the Rojan. The immortal known as the first, built up the Rojan, yet chose to remain hidden, known only to members of the Council of Twelve. If you saw him, you would understand. From him, I learnt what I could, knowledge of the world, secrets of magic the nature of the storm's full ribbon, the true name of the world's maker, the fate of the first Tyro chapter, how to mourn a friend, the reasons behind the Rojan's betrayal, how the light shining on a butterfly's wing creates color. I will teach you all of these things in time.
Isidore's garden. Come listen, little dog. Aurora has another riddle for us. The elves say this song was from a time long eons ago, of memories of beings that did not possess language. Of the first ancestor, Isidore, discovering death and battling with it. I suspect it is mostly fiction, but possibly with seeds of truth hidden within. When I walked through my garden, I knew not that I knew peace. Around me, my children played to silent music in their endless dance. Wind whales gliding overhead between the manta's lightning, graceful glow squid floating through the lilac trees, badger moths and sun dogs, momraths and barragoves. None knew hunger, none knew pain, none knew beginning, none knew end. In my garden, none knew that they could know other than peace. When I walked with my maker down paths carefully laid, she listened and she watched all that I in turn had made. The surface of her form was opaque, nothing I could discern. No ripples from my children, nothing inside of which I could learn. In the house of the maker there were many of my kind, as the others showed their creations did they glimpse to her mind. There was a demonic thing kept under lock and key. When the Maker left us one day, her absence set it free. I saw its hateful eyes burning, I saw its wings of fire unfurl. When it reached my children, their garden began to blacken and curl. Their shadows frozen in a lightning flash, into their life it tore. I was struck by a keening sickness, stood alone before its moor. Battles fought so long ago, set fire to the world below, ashes mixed with blood and snow. Nothing is tender, icicles my only daughters, the sun chose surrender, the sky dims and falters. Memories from so long ago, the burning eyes still seem to glow, maybe heat enough to let new life grow. Winter may yet end in draw, frostbitten seeds might still thaw. Some wounds just never heal. Dead earth cannot love nor feel. I'll give my soul to dress its bones, for without my children I am alone. In this flesh the roots take hold. Forget the burning eyes so bold. <laughs>